Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 145 of Control the Controllables. 2021 has been the year of Emma Raducanu. And many of you would have seen this amazing video clip of a young Emma Raducanu playing an orange ball tennis, a massive rally that went viral on all social media platforms after her US Open win. Well, she actually lost that point. And the girl that we're talking to today is the girl that beat her. I realised how important losing actually is and how, you know, me losing is only going to make me better. Obviously, you know, nobody likes losing. But I think it's it's very important and something I can handle pretty well. Now, I absolutely promise that that'll be the last time that I talk about Emma Raducanu in this chat because this is not about Emma. This is about a girl who's absolutely on her own journey. She's an incredible person, talks in such a mature way. She's only 20 years old, and that is Sine Cartel. Now, anyone that is following tennis closely she's only played three itf pro circuit events this year but she's won 15 matches and lost one and the only match that she lost a set was actually the 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 three set match she lost in the final she's a uk pro league 2021 winner she's got a great story she's very humble she's starting out her professional career and i'm excited to see where that takes her and i was really excited to have this chat with with Sine, and I'm sure you guys are all going to love her. She's going to take on a whole load of new supporters after you listen to this episode. This is our last episode before Christmas. It's a great one, and I'm going to pass you over to Sine Cartel. So, Sine Cartel, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. Um, I'm excited to be on. I've I've heard a lot about this podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to, to get going and to kind of give some some facts about myself to people that kind of haven't really heard about me. And what a what an introduction that you were given to the to the podcast as well, Fran Jones. I, I don't know if you had a chance to to listen to it, Sunir, but she she spoke very highly about you, and I think it was. It was lovely to hear because someone ranked higher. It was the fact that she'd noticed you. She said she didn't know you really well, but she'd noticed you over the last few months working incredibly hard. And she really felt that your story should be heard. So how did you feel when you heard that Fran had said that about you? I did. I actually, I heard the the kind of the, the little snippet where she mentioned me um, and I actually, first time I met her, I think it was maybe only once or twice, like she said. It was quite a few years ago. I was at the National Tennis Centre doing a, a grass court camp leading up to Wimbledon. And um, I think uh, one of the one of the LTA coaches uh, said to me that I was going to have a hit with her in the afternoon. 
and yeah that was that was kind of the first time we met um and you know I remember she obviously at that time and probably still is now she's a much higher level than me currently so for me it was really nice to kind of hit with someone hit with someone older um and kind of experience her her kind of level that she's playing at and she's certainly I mean for me for me personally sitting there talking to Fran what an it's such an inspirational story but also more than that an inspirational person who seems to be really getting everything that she can out of a tennis and you know it's it must be great for you as a as a British player to have these girls like Fran to look up to of course yeah um you know her her story is absolutely incredible um and you know I remember I remember having a chat with her and it's it's it also makes it so much nicer when the individual is such a lovely person um you know she she said nothing but kind words to me um and yeah my uh I I mean I had a great hit and you know I spoke to her a little bit after and she was she was giving me some really encouraging advice and what year you've had when I was having a little look only three ITF pro circuit events but only but, but only one loss so that's yeah. you started to dip you've started to dip your feet into into these events now you know how 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 have you felt that the year's gone yeah i'm fairly new to the to the itf circuit obviously last year with with covid that was my you know last year was my kind of was the time i was going to really give it a shot um and so obviously you know this year i kind of uh, i was in turkey about a month ago two months ago and it was my first ICF tournament for quite a few years, actually, maybe three years. Um, and, you know, I, I had no expectations um, and I kind of just really found a groove and I'm kind of right, kind of in that groove right now. Um, you know, I'm, I've got a good momentum going. Um, I'm in a really good place off court as well. So I think it, it's all kind of helping and it seems to at the minute it's kind of all, all just falling into place. And is that a bad time then to be getting into a groove as we come to the end of a calendar year? Um, I think it could be, but for me, I've, I've, you know, I've played um, quite a lot of matches in a short, short amount of time. So for me, it's, it's nice to kind of, you know, kind of recharge and reset. Um, and, you know, I've got a few things, obviously, over these tournaments that I've picked up on. So it's nice to be able to kind of train over Christmas and New Year um, and then kind of see if I can pick up from where I left off uh, in the New Year. Yeah. And and I think the thing that, that hits me, I mean, again, in, in the in the British tennis world, I, I know most of the names if not if not the players and I'd certainly seen your name around and you know knew of your abilities but it it, it does feel like you've come out the woodwork a little bit but yeah, but I, sure. but I, but I, but I, that also I guess people can be quite naive on that what what has been going on behind the scenes over the last 18 months that's enabled you to then come out and obviously the UK Pro League has been a big success for yourself but what what's what's enabled that to happen and because it seems like big improvements were made um I mean for me it it goes beyond 18 months like you said um it's it's almost pushing to about three three years. Um, you know, I've been very unlucky with injuries. Um, I was I was out when I was I think I'm going to say about fifteen. I had a a really small 
injury on my wrist, but it, it kept me out for two years almost. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. And then like I, it was always, you know, I'd, I'd overcome an injury and I'd get to that point where okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fit enough to be back on court now, but then I play a tournament or two and then I come away with that with another injury. Um, so for me, yeah, it was really frustrating. Um, and I, I did end up kind of taking six months out just because mentally it, it you know, once or twice it, it's, you know, it's fine, it's doable, but kind of when it keeps happening and you're spending all this time in the gym and, you know, you're feeling fit, but it's, you know, you can't have a good run of tournaments because your body is kind of letting you down. So for me, I kind of struggled with that. So I just took six months out and kind of, you know, did some of the stuff that, you know, you can't really do when you're competing all year round. Um, and then kind of, missed the sport terribly so then yeah I spent I mean for quite a few years I've spent more time in the gym and in the physio room than I have actually on court um and so I think right now my my body is at like the strongest it's been and with these pro leagues um they were so beneficial for me just the fact that oh I mean you know they were beneficial in many ways many ways of COVID nobody's nobody's able to compete um everyone was able to get get the match practice they needed um, from taking so long out. The prize money was also incredible. You know, it was, you're coming away from this tournament and having money in your pocket to put towards another tournament in the future. But for me, I really used it to just replicate the stress that I'm putting my body through when I'm abroad or, you know, a trip that's costing more money because, you know, I'm in a different country. So I really capitalised on that and just almost tried to like train my body to to be used to this many matches um and obviously you know when you're when you're starting out on the tour you're having to qualify which you know is potentially an extra two three matches um so yeah I just I just trained my body to try and you know to be okay with being put under this amount of stress and this many days in a row and and I think it's it's quite an interesting one because it's there's a couple of things that jump to my mind on it. One, one is winning is a habit. I know we we talk about it all the time, but it just is. You know, when you get when you get used to shaking hands as the winner, then then all of a sudden your ability to have composure in those big moments is is relatively easy to come by. When we're struggling to win matches, then we're overthinking everything. And it's very difficult in, in those moments. And, and it seems like you got so many of those matches under your belt and then went to, to compete more on the international stage. And, and, and I think the second one is, and this is, I think, a big one for players out there, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is if your level is there, then the ranking will follow. Whereas yeah. I, I think a lot of tennis players are searching the ranking without putting the work in to develop the level. And I, yeah. I, I don't know what you, what you think about that, because it seems to me like you've got the level and worked on the level and made these improvements, developed your body. And then when you're ready and you're feeling confident and you've won matches in a more domestic environment, you've then gone and capitalised internationally afterwards. Yeah, I think, no, I agree. I think so many people are focused on just the number next to their name. You know, yeah. they they can, you know, look up who they're playing, you know, the night before the match and they're looking at their ranking and they're looking at, you know, what they've done and who they've beaten. But for me, I've always, 
you know, growing up, I never, I never ever was bothered about the ranking at all. Um, you know, because, you know, if they're 100 in the world, you know, you wake up, you know, they're not going to play like they're 100 in the world. You know, what even is 100 in the world level? Um, so I think that you can, you can become really fixated on just, you know, losing matches and worrying about, you know, your rankings, you know, your rankings getting higher, it's not getting better. Um, and I, I, I actually remember growing up playing uh, some junior tournaments, you know, like the British Nationals, and I'd be away with, you know, kind of a bunch of players, would be this one big team. And, you know, we'd be sat at the dinner table and the draw would come out and the first thing they would do. And I think even the parents, some parents are guilty of this. You know, they look up, they look up who they're playing and they're like, oh, so-and-so is ranked, you know, this in the UK. And I think subconsciously it can almost put, it can almost put yourself at a loss. You can almost go onto the match court having already lost because you're so focused on this number. You're, you know, you're like, well, this person is, you know, a hundred spots above me. So, you know, they're going to beat me, but you know, you, nobody plays, you know, you don't play two matches the same. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely something I don't focus on. Um, and I think, you know, it has helped me. Um, I remember coming off the court during the, during the classic week for the pro league. And somebody said to me, Oh, you just be a girl. That's like 500 spots above you. And I was just, I was questioning them. I was like, did I? I was like, I didn't know you know, I don't look at the number at all. Um, I think it's also can be a much healthier way to, to kind of approach it. I think it's an unbelievably healthy way. I mean, I I was at a, an event with a few of the younger players from, from the Soto Tennis Academy last week. And what really struck me actually is before every match, they were passing on amongst each other what their UTRs were. So we're, yeah. we, were, we were talking about, we're talking under 11, under 12, under 13, under 14. And they'd all made their mind up whether they were going to win the match before the match happened. And, and then the behaviours then you could see were setting in, not just in regards to, I don't think I can win that match, but the other one that we saw was players thinking, oh, I should win this match easy. Yeah, and exactly, then, yeah. and then, and then, all of a sudden, they're getting themselves in trouble. Now, I think that's a global issue within our sport, but it's also a reality of of the sport as well. So, it sounds as if you had this strong mindset that you were able to kind of stay away and tolerate those thoughts from an early age. How how how's that come about? Yeah, I think you know, like you said, it it, it does go both ways. Um, you know, you can, or the big one, like you said, is being complacent. Like if you get too complacent before a match, um, I almost think that's, that's kind of worse. You know, if you go down in the set and you then start playing these mind games with yourself, just, you know, being, oh, I should be, you know, I should be through love up. Um, so for me, I've kind of, I've always gone on the court, you know, no matter what my ranking is, her ranking is, whether I've beaten her before, whether I'm, you know, I've lost her before. I I always go on the court the same way and just, you know, say I've played someone five times in a row, I'm still going to go on the court as if it's the first time we've played. Um, and, like I, you know, I've always been like that. And it's also something my, you know, my coaches have really have kind of drilled that part of it in me as well. Um, yeah. So that was definitely a big help, I think, you know, 
help from the coaches right from a young age. Um, you know, it's always you go on the court and you give, you know, you give your opponent respect. Um, and, you know, you you shouldn't win or you shouldn't lose. You know, if, if you're playing yeah. good tennis, then you're going to give yourself a good chance to, to come out as the winner. And let's give a shout out to those coaches because those are those are the messages that we need to be sending to our players. So who who were those coaches that had such an impact on you when you were younger? So I've been at Pavilion Avenue Tennis Club in Ho for, for all my life now for right. going going over ten years, um, and I've had the same the same coaching team. I've got Ben Reeves, Julie Hobbs, and Martin Reeves. Um, I worked with them for since I was about six. Um, you know, I, my setup. Yeah, I'm very lucky with my setup. You know, they work, they all know each other very well. They've all worked with each other for so many years now. Um, and it's, you know, it's a good system we've kind of got going. You know, each coach has their own, you know, des- designated section and all work together to, to um, yeah, to try and help me improve as much as possible. And taking you back, Sine, to the, to those days when you started and, I'm sorry to mention it because I'm sure you've been mentioned. This has been mentioned to you nonstop over the last few months. But the the video of two young girls smacking <laughs> a smacking a mini orange ball around, and I'm sure to a lot of the listeners that they'll know who one of them was who actually lost the point in Emma Raducanu. <laughs> well, the girl that that won that point against Emma and who was is an incredible tennis player in his, in his following in those footsteps is, is Sine Cartel, who you are, who you are listening to today. So when you go back to, to that period, how, or even before that, how did this tennis journey, this tennis thing start for you and, and the passion growing from such a young age? So I, I have an older brother. Um, he's five years older than me. So he's 25. And, uh, he, he started having lessons at my club. Um, he only ever took it to really county level um, and then unfortunately gave it up. But I would always go up to the club with my parents and watch him while he was doing squads, etc. Uh, and then one day, Judy came over to me and she was trying to get me on the court for months. You know, she, she tells me this story every time. Um, and uh, I, was, I was really shy as a kid. Um, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't talk to anyone. I would hide behind my mum's back. Um, and yeah, she she uh, she managed to, after three months, get me on court. And um, yeah, she said that I had a natural, you know, good hand-eye coordination and just kind of kind of understood understood the game. And then, you know, I started playing it. I started doing squads. Um, you know, I went through every every level there is in the British system. You know, I did county, regional, national, um, yeah. did all the county clothes, the county cups. Um, yeah, and kind of, you know, I was playing orange ball, under nines. Um, and then when I was 13, that was when I really decided that, you know, tennis was the was the sport for me. Um, I was still kind of playing football and cricket uh, at school. It was kind of like an after-school thing. Um, but it kind of, you know, it got to the point where I was like, right, you know, I need to decide. I need to, I need to pick a career. Um, and yeah, from thirteen, I I chose that tennis was the one for me, and I've I've never looked back since. And and going back to that video that has gone viral, I guess 
the, this can be looked at in one of two ways. You know, when you've not just in mini orange, but I'm sure, you know, Emma's a player that you've grown up with, played yeah. against numerous times. Have you, when you're sitting back and you're watching her, which I think all of us were completely blown away that she went on to win the US Open, are you looking at that saying, that could be me and that if Emma can do it, I can do it? Or are you looking at that in through the eyes of, of quite a typical British tennis player that might go, well, that's not fair. She had this, she had that, you know, how, how was that honestly in your, in your mind when you were watching that, that unfold? Yeah. Somebody, somebody asked me this uh, the other day and they said to me, it was in an interview and the, the journalist was saying to me, you know, do I feel sorry for myself? And I just said, absolutely not, you know, credit where credit is due. She's, she's put in the hours, she's put in the hard work. Um, you know what she what she's done is unbelievable um but i think you know i looked at it in quite a few ways you know obviously absolutely nothing negative towards her or anything or any kind of feeling sorry for myself um you know everyone's everyone's tennis journey is different you know and even though mine has has been more complicated and trickier you know it's it has you know made me a different person um, kind of having to overcome these these obstacles, you know, mentally it's made me so much tougher. Um, but I think it, not just me, but I also think I can speak on the behalf of a lot of other players who grew up playing her, that it does, it gives you kind of this little, this little boost or a little nudge that, you know, this dream that we're all chasing is very achievable. Um and, you know, it's not being, you know, it's not over-exaggerating saying I want to, you know, I want to win a Grand Slam. Um, yep. You know, this is someone who who I've played many times, who other people have played many times. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, I think if you looked at it negative, you know, it, it's just not doing anything for yourself. You've got to use it as a positive, use it as kind of some momentum to be like, okay, you know what, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going and I'm going to keep sticking at it. And what, what is your dream? My my dream is to, you know, everyone says I want to be number one, but I, I want to be kind of, I want to get to, a, you know, obviously the highest possible ranking, but I want to continue the love for the sport. Um, yeah. You know, I would love to be top 100 for sure. Um, but yeah, I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm still enjoying tennis. Um, and I think that, I think my life, even after my playing career is over, I'm still going to be involved in tennis as much as I can. Um, I think, yeah, for me, I, I mean, tennis is really all I've known. Um, so yeah, I think that's the only route for me is after my career, I'm going to, I kind of want to stick in the, stick in the industry, um, and maybe kind of do what my coaches have done with me, you know, get a player from a young age and experience that whole journey. But for me, experience it in the eyes of a coach this time. I absolutely love your mentality. Thank you. I can't believe I'm talking to a 20 year old, you know, your head is, is so screwed on your, it's very, very clear to see, you know, your mindsets in, in, in such a good place. And it's, it's so lovely to hear. And it just, what one question that does jump to my mind as you're, as you're saying that all of that, as if you always been in love with tennis or has, has there been any moments where you, where you've fallen out of love with tennis? Yeah, um, I mean, I 
I remember saying earlier that I did take six months out. Yeah. Um, that that was that was kind of a mix with things. That was you know we had some family illnesses going on that kind of that took a toll on it. Um, the fact of again being injured mentally took a toll on it. Um, so uh, that's the I mean the only kind of slight dip in my career that I've ever had towards tennis. But I mean even even after kind of two weeks, I was kind of I had you know I had that itch to get back playing. So. Yeah. So pretty much, yeah. I mean, tennis is kind of tennis is all I've known. And do you think you're stronger for that though? The fact that you've you've had well, one the the, the experience of the injuries, you know, but but two ha- having at a young age the experiences of maybe this isn't for me. Let me see if I want to try something else. Do you feel like you've come through that as a stronger character and as someone that's even more attached to tennis because of it? Hundred um, percent. I think. I also think that you know. Every, everyone kind of loves. You know, everyone says you know they love playing tennis, like it's such a great sport. But it it does teach you so many life lessons as well. It's it's kind of more than a sport. Um, and so I think for me, you know, playing, uh, kind of playing tennis Europe's and being thirteen and traveling traveling all over Europe at such a young age. Um, really kind of made me you know it made me grow up so fast and it you know probably faster than it it would have if I wasn't playing you know it it forced me to kind of take ownership of of my tennis um made me very independent and kind of you know made me develop all these life skills so I think that for sure um tennis is yeah I mean tennis has helped me massively yeah, it's, it's a, it is an amazing sport, but I just, it's, it's, even if I take my, my journey age 41 now, owner of a, and founder of a, of a tennis academy, completely, it's completely my life. But I reckon if I go back to the ages of 16, 17, 18, I had probably quite a strong dislike for the sport yeah. and, 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 and everything that went with the sport. And then there were certainly times as I played on the tour as well, where, where those moments came up, where I doubted myself. I doubted whether I really wanted to be involved, if it was the life for me. And even now there will be times. And, and, and I just think sometimes people have this fairy tale of what the world of tennis is. And, yeah. you know, you can have my overarching feeling is absolute love for the sport but that doesn't mean that I haven't had little micro moments where, where it's been very tough. So I, I just think it's really important that people that are looking up to you, because there will be a lot of people out there that are looking up to you, that they, they see that this isn't a fairy tale, you know, but you've got to, you've got to push through those difficult moments to be able to, to, to get the goodness out of the sport, not just in terms of results, but as you're, you're saying so well there, the, the life skills and all of those other bits that come from, from really being involved and striving towards the, the best that you possibly can be in this sport. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, like, you know, like you said, you know, I've, I've definitely had very, you know, very, very minor moments where I thought, you know, this, you know, I've, I remember waking up and just thinking like, you know, what I'm choosing to do every day, like, you know, it's really hard. Um, and, you know, I remember being, being younger, kind of just being a teenager and, 
you know your friends are going out and they're you know they're doing whatever and you're like you know I can't I've I've got training in a minute or you know I've got to be in bed early tonight because I've got training early the next morning so I think that obviously you know it does have a lot of sacrifices um you know and I think what people forget is like tennis is a very hard sport it's it's so much more than just running around a court and hitting a ball it you know the mental side of it physically um you know it's it's tiring and I think that's that's also why it's important to you know have you know have a few days off have a have a break go and go and enjoy a long weekend doing something you want and then just I think it's important to just always make sure you're you know you're taking care of yourself mentally and kind of recharging yourself so that you never just become this kind of robot that's you know constantly doing the same thing over and over again I think it's it's really important to kind of keep things interesting and not make it too you know one-dimensional you honestly and I know I've said it already but you're you're speaking as if <laughs> you've you've had this like long long career and and it and it's so somebody you're either a very smart girl who's learned learned incredibly quickly or you've got some great advice behind you because that is I I, I would expect to hear that from someone 30 35 years old that's just finished that's finished their career because I I, I don't think many people get that balance right in our sport. You know, I think a lot of us from coaches to what, to fitness coaches, to players, to journalists, to whoever it might be, it's quite a relentless sport, you know, that can, you can just go from week to week to, to day to week to year to, you know, you're moving in that way. So is that something that you've talked about with your coaches as well is that something from family friends Where, where's where's this wisdom come from so you know like I said uh, that six month break we kind of had you know family illnesses etc and that kind of happened at an early age really for me it was kind of about 13 so from that kind of age I had to take you know real like ownership of my tennis um, yeah. and you know kind of take charge of things and you know, not relying on other people to kind of sort things out for me or, you know, different things like that. I think, you know, I also think it's so important, you know, you see a lot of younger kids and it's their parents that are controlling everything. So I think definitely me taking ownership from a young age um, is is a factor to it. Um, you know, I have a lot of, you know, my coaches and my parents, they're, they're very humble. Um my when my coach is Judy, she used to play on the tour. Um, so she's given me a lot of a lot of wisdom. Um, and you know, my my parents always make sure that I'm, you know, very grounded. Um, so it's it's definitely a lot of factors kind of thrown in, kind of thrown into the mix. But you even there, you you and you've and you've talked about it, this this young age where you've been almost forced in, into this situation if you're not forced into that situation of taking that ownership from such a young age, it, it feels as if, and this is what happens, I think with 99% of tennis players, they just are, are then on the journey until all of a sudden they, they, they realize, what am I doing? They, they've not really, yeah. really thought of it. So if we put a coach's head on you now, you know, that's already, I can hear that coach's head coming through in, in, in a few years time. How do we get 
parents to understand that? How do we get coaches, players to understand in a way that life life has thrown something at you and it's it's forced it's forced that action how how do we get people to understand that intensity of learning and that ownership that's the word that really stands out for me that absolute extreme ownership that you've taken of your life how how, how do we manufacture that when life doesn't throw it at us so I, like you know for me for me it, it was forced into me like you know i had no choice it was either take ownership or your tennis is just kind of it's going to slowly fade out and you're probably going to end up you know end up not playing it uh, in you know a year or so time and I think that a lot of parents can be almost too kind um, to to their kid for, for playing so I think it's almost like well okay I'm paying you you know I'm paying for you to go to this club you know I'm paying for the membership I'm paying for your hours on court I'm I'm paying for your equipment. It's either going to be like, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna show me that you you want to play and that you you're gonna take this seriously, or I'm gonna stop funding, funding your your tennis career. But I think you have to be very careful with that because it's, you know, you then don't want the parent to kind of be like, okay, you're not winning matches. I don't think they should base it on winning matches because then that's going to get this pressure and it's going to be oh I need to win this otherwise otherwise mum's not going to pay for my next tournament or something so I think it's as long as you're giving you know as long as the child is giving 110 percent you know that that's all you can ask for um you know I'm very lucky my parents are very understanding and have come to the realization that I'm not going to win every match um and no one's going to win every match um you know it's it's normal to lose it's healthy to lose um so I think you know as long as you're giving 110 percent that's kind of that's all you can ask for you know because for me I giving my best was kind of something I always did from a very young age and then once I kind of grew up and got you know got older and realized how much money my you know my family had spent and how much they had dedicated for me to be able to to go to these tournaments and train you know the one thing you don't want to have is that regret on your shoulders of being you know my parents gave up all this for me and I didn't even try my hardest for this tournament so I think as long as as long as your child is giving the best they can do um then I think that's that's going to be you know a better start than nothing thank you for the advice I'm I'm a I'm a tennis parent of, a, <laughs> of an 11 year old boy, just turned 11 year old boy. So that I'm going to have to re-listen back to this, you know, and take, and take your advice on board as well, because I think it's, it's, it's really powerful to hear that from someone age 20 who is, is, is living it right now. You know, I think sometimes those reflections happen a little bit later or it's an old fuddy duddy like myself trying to pass on those messages and and, yeah. and, it's, and it's hard to relate, you know, so any any players and younger players listening to that will take so much from it. I My, think, yeah, but sorry, yeah, just you to go. in, but like if, you know, obviously you said there are, you know, players listening in and I, I always think that I remember growing up and there was very little, probably I could count I mean they wouldn't even take up one hand but I remember there was a match I was playing and kind of I just I you know wasn't in a good headspace I was, I was still very young um and 
something happened that day I can't remember what but I remember just for some odd reason I didn't give my best for that match and obviously you know you grow up and I'm looking back at it now and I'm just like you know I regret not not trying for that match because you know you get older obviously at the time you know you don't you know you don't realize and you kind of don't understand how much your parents are sacrificing for you but I think you know obviously I'm much older now I'm you know, I'm the one that's funding myself. Um, so I just think, yeah, for sure. It's always make sure you give a hundred and ten percent so you don't, you know, you don't look back on it and you don't you don't carry any regret on your shoulders. But loads I want to ask you. But <laughs> but you've just you've you've touched on the the funding bit. And like I said to you at the start of this podcast, be before we started recording, you know, I I I want these these episodes to be real. I want them to be, uh, I want them to be learnings for people. So you, I guess, sitting at 800 ish in the world, how are you able to fund yourself and fund your tennis? So for pretty much my whole career, it was coming from my parents' pocket. Um, I haven't really had any funding if I'm honest with you. Um, And you know, we touched upon the pro league um, at the start and that has been a huge reason for me to be able to, you know, go away for, for the amount of many matches I did a few months ago, just because the pro league was offering such, such big money that it's able to cover, you know, one or two weeks abroad. Um, But, you know, it's, it's so sad that tennis is such an expensive sport because I remember growing up and being kind of, 16 17 and that point where you transition into the seniors so many of my friends who I was uh, competing with at the time had to had to give up just because you know not because they wasn't good enough or because they they fell out of love for the for the sport but because they just didn't have the financial support um so I think you know it's hard um you know really unless you're you know, you're very, you're very high up in the rankings and you're top 100, you're, you're not really breaking even too much. I mean, for me to, you know, for example, for me doing one week in Turkey, I'm having to win the whole week for me to just make back what I've spent. Um, so really, unless you're winning 15Ks, you're not, you're not making a profit. So, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely tough. So if we talked about, to give some realities, if you played a full calendar of let's say 25 weeks of ITF Pro Circuit events and as well as your coaches, you know, yeah. and I'm not trying to get into the detail of what you're paying your coaches, but what what is the the cost of a year in and around your level? So you're five, 500 to 1,000 WTA ranking level. What's the reality of your costs? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be able to give you just because it's been, you know, I haven't yet done that because I've been injured. Yeah. Yeah. Um, per week, so per week, per week, like a week in Turkey, a week in Tunisia. How much, yeah, how so, much are those weeks? Um, I mean, obviously it can vary, you know, if you're going to a nicer place, it can be more expensive, but, and, you know, you have to add up your coaches, but I mean, anywhere, if I'm going to, any 15k with a coach I'm at a two grand loss of profit maybe um 
So, yeah, anytime I'm traveling with a coach, uh, I'm losing money. Even if yeah. I'm winning the tournament, I'm still losing money. Um, and if I'm going on my own, then I'm probably making back what I've spent. So, yeah, it's it's very tricky. And how does that change? Do you, you, that, that's, I think, I think that's the, the challenging part in our sport. I know we've had numerous people at the at the highest levels of the game on this podcast and they they often say that they're pushing towards that but I'm not sure they really are you know that we've had a we've had this issue now for 30 40 years so one question I would like to then just put to you we had Cameron Norrie's coach uh, Faku Lagunas on the show and what he basically said, and, and he said this was the very much the, the Argentinian mentality, is if there is a will, there is a way, you know? And, yep. and you've mentioned there that you've got friends that have, that have stopped, and I don't want you to name names and I don't want you to get into trouble, but if, you, <laughs> if you're really, really brutally honest, those people that have stopped because they don't have the money, or those people that have stopped because they've got a bad elbow, or those people that have stopped for these reasons that they they find justifications for, is that the real, real, real reason? Or is it because they don't quite have the will to do what it takes? Uh, I'm going to go with a bit of a bit of 50-50 on that one. Um, I think that, you know, junior career can, you know, if you're if you're high end of the rankings in the junior career, life can look pretty good, you know, traveling to all these nice places and getting the, you know, the nicer treatment. Um, and then, you know, you can be, you can be number one uh, in the world in the junior rankings, but, you know, your ranking is going to be irrelevant when you, when you go to the seniors, you know, you're going to start at zero. So you're going to have to go the scrappy route. You're going to have to, you're going to have to dig your way in through, you know, some, not so nice countries and go to some not so nice places um and just start again so i i think it is a bit uh you know a bit of the the mental side and not really you know not really having the kind of willpower to to endure that but then again yeah you know financially it's so tough you know if you you're not just having to pay for your flights and hotel and accommodation you're having to pay for the training all year round you're having to pay for the physio all year round um you know and unless you're sponsored and you get your equipment for free then you're also having to pay for that so you know it you know it does all compound you know it all adds up and and you know unfortunately it is it is so expensive and unless you can have some you know some private funding or someone to really kind of believe in you and invest in you then it's it's so tough but I, I guess I'm talking specifically here the UK and uh, and apologies to listeners because I know you're listening from everywhere and and maybe you can relate this to <clears throat> to your country as well but the pandemic has been an, an horrific time for for the world you know and yep. You know, so many people losing losing family members, going through challenges, difficulties, businesses, you know, all of these things. And, and we hear it all the time and being a very, very negative, difficult, difficult time for, for everybody. But I, I do always 
think that with bad times opens up opportunity, you know, and whenever there is through history, when we've had these, these really bad, difficult moments, there is opportunities that do open from it and grow from it. And people with your mindset will often find the opportunity in that. But it just seems to me that finally in the UK, there's now a competition structure that enables people to stay a little closer to home, yep. not travel so much, have the opportunities to to be to be building your bank a little bit to then be able to go and do what you've done. And and yep. and I and I guess without the pandemic, I'm not quite sure that these events would have would have started. So I, I you're you've maybe got a bit more of the inside scoop as the as the current the current winner of of this year's UK Pro League. Is this something that's in for the long haul? Or is this something that just came in to kind of fill a gap during during that period? Yeah, so you know it started last year um as the pro series uh with COVID. Um so you know that's kind of how it came about. And then it was they, you know, it was so appreciated by by all of us players. You know, they put it on again this year. Um it's it's coming along next year as well, um, so I think that it, you know, with, you know, I think that, you know, obviously we've all had to adapt to a new lifestyle, um, and, you know, with these these pro leagues, with the British tours, um, and I know that LTA have a new bonus scheme program out, which, you know, has has helped us all massively. So I think kind of you know, the recognition of, you know, catering for the British players during a tough time has been, you know, I have nothing but positive things to say, you know, with LTA and with everyone that has helped out to, to kind of make sure that we're still, we're still ticking on and we're still, you know, we still have access to, to be able to play these tournaments with, with being funded a little bit. Yeah, and and no, like I say, that uh, this is not just a British thing, but it, it it seems like that's really been done well. And I think for the tennis industry as a, as a whole, you know, we now have that all these UTR pro events that are now popping up uh, around Europe and, and and in America, and and that's what we need. We need there to be, you know, more and more of of these of these events, which will allow people to to play the sport. And I go back to what you talked about in the very beginning. You know, you've you've been able to, we can't just judge ourselves on the ranking next to our name. It's actually, if you can play the sport that you love and give your all to that sport for five, 10 years, and you find a way of doing that financially, well, to me, that's what a professional tennis player is. You know, and I, and I yeah. know a lot, a lot of players over the years have used German league, Italian league, French league, you know, to supplement their 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 years, uh, but I think we're we're crying out for it as a as a tennis industry, and it's it's great to hear from you firsthand as someone who's benefited from that. For sure, I think you know I think they've done an excellent job of of making sure you know a wide audience of players are getting support from from COVID. You know, it's not it's not one dimensional of you know if your you know if your ranking is top five in the UK, then only you are being funded. You know, they've really kind of expanded the expanded the, you know, the amount of players they're they're trying to help, which I think is is 
you know such an important thing and also I think it's you know it's going to give more opportunity for for people who haven't been able to kind of you know show off their performance a little bit I just want to want to take you back slightly to you you are if I've got my dates right you're one of the first kind of mini tennis group to be coming through you know when I go back I was working in the UK 11 years ago you know mini tennis was really becoming a big thing you know it was becoming quite dictated too that you had to stick on red ball till that age orange ball exactly yeah I remember you know all of those things so so we're kind of seeing seeing you guys now come through into the professional ranks on reflection are you an advocate of the mini tennis system I am I am, yeah. I, you know, I went through red, orange, um, green, and yellow. And I remember when I was that age, I think they just started bringing out. I think it was something like the orange one stars and yes, all right. that kind of yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm. I think it. I think it helped me. Um, it developed me. You know, different skills and you know taught me. You know, I think also playing in an orange court, you know, obviously the lines are smaller. You know, you develop these skills of being able to, you know, to navigate the ball to a certain part of the court when you're when you're restricted with space. Um, so I think there are there are many aspects that that it can help. Um, and yeah, I'm, you know, if if I was a coach, I would I would recommend my play going through that. Sure, yeah. Yeah, no, I just think it's it's interesting because we don't. It's hard to have an opinion on a system until we see someone, until we start to see groups going through the full cycle of it. You know, do you, I guess my next question on that is, do you think you would be any different as a player, development-wise, now age 20, if you'd just used a yellow ball from the word go? I think, hmm, I think maybe, maybe skill set-wise, I wouldn't be as acquired as I am now. Um, yeah that would maybe be my only thing. So I think, you know, having different balls, softer balls, you're having to hit it harder, hit it softer, um, put less spin on it, etc. So I think it's definitely given me more of an acquired skill set, I think. No, I mean, I, I certainly, I certainly wouldn't argue with that. I think it's, it's just, it's very, I think it's an interesting topic for, mm. for, for people because it's, you know, we've had it, uh, probably Britain were one of the first countries behind Belgium and, you know, c- a couple of other European countries that brought this on board. I'm in Spain. They, they really don't believe in it in Spain. Yeah. You know, they, they started to bring in a little bit of green ball. You might get the odd coach using orange balls, but it's, it's not, a, it's not a massive thing. And, and I guess just someone who's experienced that firsthand, I think it's interesting, interesting to see, but if, if the likes of Emma, yourself, the players come through from this system and 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 and, and are going to have big success within the sport, then it also is quite hard to argue against it. I think it's the same. It's along the same kind of concept of, you know, do do you play the the tennis Europe juniors or do you do do you go straight into kind of doing the seniors at a young age? What what's your kind of intake on that? I think it depends on the individual. Yeah. And, 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 and I think it's the same. I think it's the same with, with mini tennis balls. Ultimately, all that I see a mini tennis ball as is, is a tool to be used on the tennis court to develop 
skills to to manage the player to you know might be developing tactical skills i might i might pull if i worked with you i I don't know your game but if you were struggling to hit through your backhand i might pull out the red balls and say right age 20 we're going to do a basket of red balls on your backhand down the line to hit through the ball you know to get to to get the feeling so so i think in terms of the balls i think it it, the coaches have to have to manage it and, and i think the mindset is more of it being a tool i'm not a fan of it being dictated to so strongly because i think i think development happens in an individualized manner and and then yep. i think and I, and I think it's the same with tournament schedules you know i think tournament schedules you know i i, I don't think it's a race or a, a rush you know to, to to get to where you want to get to you know i like yep. i like people developing and taking their own steps so i i personally like the international exposure because it's an international sport you know, so I think I think going to your tennis Europe events, you get to experience. It's very similar a tennis Europe event than it is to an ITF Pro Circuit event in the way that it works, from sign in to practice courts to, you know, how you enter the event. So, so I like that players gain that experience. And then my my second thing is on that. I think a sense of belonging is quite important in our sport. And, and I think if you're rubbing shoulders with these players, the better players in Europe from an early age, when you then turn up to play events a little bit later on as you're playing professional, it's a lot easier if you're sitting in the locker room and you're on first name terms with the players because, yeah. you've, because you've grown up with them and you feel like you belong with them than it is to be someone who's completely coming in from the dark. Um, you know, I just think mentally you've got to be quite a strong character to all of a sudden just feel like you belong at that certain event. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I like the international exposure for sure, but it, it really does depend on, 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 the yeah. indivi- on the individual. And, you know, just looking at from afar, I like the way you've done it this year. I think that's a, I think that's a really smart way. I said it earlier in the, in the episode that <laughs> actually, getting you wins locally <laughs> and yeah. local in this sense is doing it in a, in a domestic way, building your game, building your confidence. You know, I like how you put it, you know, getting used to that uh, amount of matches and seeing how your body does. And then, and then on you go and, and, and start playing the, the higher level events. And if I go back to when Dan Evans was on the, on, on the show, he, he talked about the, uh, the, the British futures events at the start of the year, and he said it didn't matter about ranking, but whoever had won, Billsley and Sheffield, Hallamshire, British tours that year, they were the favourites to win the Futures as well. You know, it didn't matter yeah. on the ranking because the, the, the I think there's a lot to be said for for confidence and, and winning matches going into events. And, and, and I don't think, I think there's a lot of people out there that don't schedule so smartly. They jump from tournament to tournament, from Turkey to Tunisia, and they're not winning yeah. matches. They're not winning uh-uh. matches. You know, you need to, I think you'd before you go and play those events. And the same with challenges. 
you know, once you then move up to the bit, the higher level events, get your wins, go and win a futures and then jump into a challenger. And, and, yeah. and, and then I would imagine the same at the next level as well, win your challenger before you go to your WTA, you know, yeah. and, 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 and building, building your schedules like that. So um, I like how you've just flipped it. I feel like I'm the, I feel like I'm the guest all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, everyone's, <laughs> everyone's kind of a, opinion on that topic is slightly different uh you know some agree some don't some don't agree with it so you know it's nice to kind of just hear people's take on it and what's your take on it my take on it is very similar to yours um i think you know if i look at it from a from a player perspective you know i would i would choose again to to do that same route you know it it, i could talk about it for hours it um you know, I got to experience so many amazing kind of moments and achievements and, you know, play for Great Britain and things like that and got to experience so many cool things because I chose that junior route um, and kind of took it to, you know, I mean, I, I was playing the juniors until I was too old. So, you know, I got to experience so many amazing things from playing it. Like you said, you, you become accustomed to, to the way tournaments are run. Um, and I, I just think that kind of you, once you're, once you're comfortable with, with your level and, you know, you've, you've earned your right to, to play at that level above you, then you can move on. Um, I think that it's, it can be very almost demotivating. You know, you're, you choose to play the level above you, but you're losing every match because, you know, just because you're not quite ready yet, or, you know, you can, you know, there, there's no rush on it. You know, you don't have to be at a certain level, of, you know, a certain age or or anything, which then takes us back to kind of looking at numbers. And, you know, if you're telling yourself, you know, you want to be this by by the well, by whatever date it is, um, it can you can just have all this added stress. I think for me, playing the juniors and kind of earning my right to then play for play play into the seniors was was a big thing. I think, it, yeah, like I said, I, th- I think it's helpful. And did you play junior Grand Slams? I played junior Wimbledon twice. Uh, I think 2018, I played just the doubles. And then the year after, I got to play singles and doubles. Because I think that's also, for me, I, I, I don't understand it when players dismiss juniors when when blatantly they're, they're, they're not that good and they're probably looking for that to be a justification as why they haven't made it to junior grand slams. I just think if you, a junior grand slam for me is, is almost a carbon copy of a grand slam. Well, it is, it is yeah. it's, it's the same facility, you know, okay. You're in different locker rooms. Um, but the inspiration that comes from that and exactly. And, yeah. And, and, it, and it goes back to something that we touched on earlier, which is a, a big thing that I talk a lot about on the podcast, which if you can see it, you can be it. Yep. And, and, and I think just that whole thing of being, around uh, being around that environment it, it can't it can't be anything short of a complete inspiration you know and if if someone's really that good at 14 15 go and play your grand slams then if you've gone deep into the grand slam juniors okay then 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 move and do what you need yeah. to do on the pro on the pro tour but uh, I, I just think that, you know you shouldn't you shouldn't miss out the steps if if possible. And, and that, and that brings me on to one more thing that I did want to ask you is, yep. is, is, is around, 
US college. So uh, in terms of in terms of someone of your age and level at the time, you know, yeah. it it would be you, I guess, would be a shoe-in for someone who would go to US college. It seems to be a strong route. So why did you cho- choose against that? Um, so I kind of I had my mindset very early on that um I didn't want to go down that route. Um just for me you know I think everyone is different um for me personally I just thought that I you know I wanted to give it my best shot as a going the professional route and I kind of I wanted to have that experience of you know starting from the bottom and kind of building my way up um and I kind of wanted to just go straight into it I kind of you know didn't want to really go into that kind of after college and having to spend four years there and then do it um you know and i i did have some you know offers from certain unis being you know we will accommodate your you know your um individual goals and stuff but i i just think you know with the amount of volume of matches that were being played for the school um would then wouldn't give me as much time to kind of or as much time as i would have liked to focus on my own career um so yeah from a from a very early age i just thought you know personally that I wanted to go down the, the professional route and kind of give it my best shot. And any regrets on that? Not at all, no. I'm not pushing you to say there should be. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't sound happy with me there. I certainly, I certainly wasn't saying that you that you should have regrets. It's just I think I think a lot of people do at, at different times, but I, I think it's it's another example of how assured you are about it's something I would I say a lot to players don't don't be afraid to be a bit different and and that, that's something that really screams out at me talking to you today which I've got so much admiration for that you're on your journey you don't need to go somewhere that just because someone else has you don't need to move coaches just because someone else has. You don't need to compare yourself to someone who you used to play with just because they've done that. And 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 I think they are such strong traits to have. And and I think the US college decision and the way you're talking about that is 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 another fine example of that. So well done to you on that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean it was yeah, I mean I've had my head screwed on that professional tennis is the route I want to take from from an early age. And there was a quote and it was like, I think it's like dealt the cards you're given. And I, I just think, you know, I'm on my own journey. I'm not looking at anybody else's. I'm very switched down heads on my own route. Um, You know, I don't, I don't compare myself to, to someone else. You know, I don't, I don't, um, you know, match myself up to anyone. I think that's, that is very important. And the kind of the, the way or the reason why I've turned out the way I have is just because, you know, my head screwed on and I'm just focusing on myself and, you know, letting other people, you know, do as they please. And, you know, me and my coaches are very, you know, we're very focused. Um, and, you know, our one goal is to kind of keep me happy in tennis and be the best, you know, be the best that I can be. I just want to inject, inject the, do not compare myself to anybody comment into into all players globally because it's the devil 
You know, this, it this, is. this it really is, yeah. That the two things I think that are the devil in our sport is the inability to tolerate losing. And 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 I think the inability to tolerate losing comes from not having a, a realistic understanding of what our sport is, because we we all lose lots. We lose lots exactly. of points, we lose lots of matches. And and then the second one is the devil. This not just for players, but this is as much for parents as anybody listening. That once you start comparing, you're you're in trouble. And and look, I'm a tennis parent. It is easy to do. It's easy to go up. Oh, little Billy's playing 15 hours a week, and my boy's only playing six. No yep. wonder little Billy's beating my boy. My boy needs to play 15. You know, but it's it's making sure that you have your head screwed on like Samir has her head screwed on and, and making those, those, those decisions. So my, my last thing before we go into the quick fire, because you've been amazing giving your time. Um, I can't believe we haven't spoken before because it's been so many amazing, um, fantastic insights that you've given. And, you know, you're right, right up my, my street with all of your <laughs> philosophies, you know, so we, I need to, we need to have a coffee together at a tournament sometime as well. But what's, what does the plan look like from here? You know, you've you've got yourself to a point now where you have a platform. You know, yep. you're gonna you, you're gonna be getting in some main draws, I would imagine, at the start of next year. Um, your game's obviously in a good place. Your body's in a good place. So, what does the next twelve or eighteen months look like for you? So, for me, um, you know, I'm on a currently on a little break at the minute, just kind of recharging myself and getting myself ready to go again in Jan. Um, first tournament back is in January 10th you know the LTA have put on a great I mean to be honest they put on a whole great year next year there are so many British tournaments you know 25ks mixed in with the pro leagues you know they've all interlined very very well you know none of them are overlapping so there are I think four um, 25ks between January and Feb uh, mixed in with some pro leagues so I'm going to be here playing those and kind of yeah, I mean, I'm, my goal now is to kind of just focus on the 25s. Um, you know, I've, I spoke uh, briefly upon kind of, you know, earning your right to be there. And I've kind of, you know, I, I've done that with the 15s. Um, you know, I've, I've proved a point. And so I'm going to look to do that in the 25s. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of so far I've built up on. I mean, I'm not. I'm not looking to be going abroad up until March. So that would be the earliest. Okay. And just then in terms of earning your right for, for those listening out of those, out of those 15 wins, one loss that you've had last year on the ITF pro circuit, you dropped two sets, I believe. And the two sets that you dropped win the match that you lost. So every other match was won in straight sets so you've done it pretty convincingly as well. Thank you. Did you know that? Actually, no. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, obviously at the back of my head, I knew I was on a good run. It was kind of the most consistently, or most like good tennis consistently that I've done, uh, probably my whole life, to be honest with you. Um, so I think almost that loss actually helped me. Um, you know, the way I kind of, we touched a bit earlier about losing and like losing is so important because, you know, losing is learning. And so kind of that, that loss really 
it kind of made me, you know, that I remember that last, it was in the final in Turkey, actually. I think it was the first week. And it was my, that was my first ITF seniors in 33 years. And I just remember, you know, that one, that one kind of stung a little bit. Um, and so, you know, it was just kind of the, kind of the little momentum kick that I needed. Um, so for me, that loss actually came in a perfect time. You know, I learned from it and I kind of went again. Are you prepared for the time that you do start taking a first, a few first round losses? For sure. Um, it's, you know, mentally something I pride myself upon. I think it's one of my biggest strengths um, on the court as well. Um, you know, I don't show much anger. I, you know, I like to keep myself pretty composed. Um, and, you know, I I realise how important losing actually is um, and how, you know, me losing is only going to make me better. Um you know, it, it's gonna it's gonna show up the weakest the the weaknesses that I can then improve on for for future matches. So yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, you know, nobody likes losing, but I think it's it's very important and something I can handle pretty well. A great way to finish before we go into the quick fire round. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm a bit nervous. I'm not gonna lie. No, nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing to be nervous on. Serve, serve or return. Uh, serve. Forehand or backhand? Forehand. Roger or Rafa? Roger. Serena or Venus? Serena. Clear court or hard courts? Hard courts. Mini tennis or not? Mini tennis. Injury timeout or not? Not. Let cords on serves or not? Uh, Let cords, yeah. Who's your favourite player? Kim Clasters. Is she? That's she a, is. I, I can't let that go without mentioning that <laughs> my, my new performance director at the academy is Carl Mize, who, who, who coached, obviously, Kim for 10, 11 years. So we'll have to, we'll have to do a little hookup there somewhere to get you guys playing together. I actually, I actually played it when I was really young in mini tennis. Oh, um, really? It's, yeah, it's still to this day one of my biggest achievements. Um, I remember I got to play a tiebreak with her and obviously she was playing at her full capacity and I remember winning the tiebreak 8-7 <laughs> on a net cord, which is probably the reason why I prefer net cords. <laughs> rematch, rematch. We want a I, rematch. I, I, I would love a rematch. <laughs> <laughs> we want a rematch. And your favourite tournament? Wimbledon. What's one rule change that you would have in tennis? Um... Ooh, not sure if I will thank myself for it, but I'd I'd quite like to see the women go for five sets at Grand Slams too. Absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, like I said, I don't think I'd appreciate it, but <laughs> I think I think it would be it'd be interesting. It's been trialed before. Has it? Yeah, it has. I remember I remember watching Steffi Graf play maybe Monica Sellers or someone, but they played whether it was at a Grand Slam or not, but they played quite a few events best of five back in the Steffi Graf era. Someone more knowledgeable than me listening to this will, will send in, send in the details, but, but yeah, no, it, it has been trialed before. Um, yeah. And it'd be, it'd be great to see it. It's great to see it again. Uh, if we take the U S open or we take some of the, the last, the last few grand slams, I think 
the the women's rivalries and the and the women's game right now is arguably becoming the the most dominant of the of the of the two events at the Grand Slams. So I'm sure yeah. I'm sure people would be loving to see even even more tennis being played. So let's see, maybe maybe one day everyone else is trying to shorten the game, but you're trying to you're trying to make it longer. So let's let's <laughs> let, let's see who wins. And and who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Oh, you've really thrown me on the spot here. Um, okay. I don't know if you've had her or not, but I'm going to go with Lily Miyazaki. Purely because I think we touched upon it, or you did earlier, about the college tennis route. Um, yeah. And I know that she took that route and her ranking is now uh, just outside 200 maybe. Right, and I yeah. think that there's a bit of kind of confusion or there can be a bit of confusion about it you know everyone's views on college tennis is different you know some are you know you can do your four years and then do your pro route and some are saying you know if if I if I go I'm not going to be able to be be a professional after um so I think she she'd be the perfect example of proof that you know you can go and still be you know 200 in the world um and I think her whole experience and kind of the route she took after college and you know how she managed to get herself that high so I think it would also not be very interesting but it would be it would be very useful as well very useful information for for teenagers that are maybe thinking that route and you know are a bit nervous about the whole situation great well we haven't had her on yet I know she's coached, she's coached by Craig Veal I think so yeah I think yeah, so, yeah so Craig Craig's been on and then Alexa Garachi, Arthur, Arthur Ferry, and Desiree Kravchek, who we also coaches, have all been on. So um, I reckon between us, Craig and yourself, we'll be able to get the get the hook up there to get her on in the new year because this is this is our last episode of 2021, apart from our end of year episode where we're going to review the year is going to go out the last couple of days of 2021 and it's been it's been a great way to end and you know to have to have you on um, a big thanks to Fran Jones for she talked about you at the end you know just as you have there with Lily you know and I think it, it's been such a lovely way to to explore all of the all of the fascinating stories and journeys you know in in this tennis world by asking that question at the end and and I'm really thankful that Fran mentioned you and 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 helped get you onto the show because you've been absolutely brilliant so thank you and and all the very best for for 2022 thank you thank you for having me it's been it's been nice I'm I'm looking I've actually recently got into podcasts as well so I'm definitely going to uh I know you mentioned you've got over 100 episodes so I'm going to try and finish them off next year you'll <laughs> get through them one by one you're going to need to do more traveling you know none of these <laughs> He's staying in Britain's not going to get it done unless unless you're driving up to Glasgow from Brighton. Actually, you might get you might you might get a few episodes then. But thank you so much for coming on and have a great Christmas. Thank you and you. So as always, another fantastic chat that I feel very lucky to have been a part of. I actually just want to start with a couple of little logistical things from that episode. I don't want to ever assume that everybody knows every last detail in the sport. And some of the names of tournaments can be a little confusing. And ITF, if we start with that, the ITF is the International Tennis Federation. They're the big governing body that kind of runs tennis before you start getting into the ATP and WTA. 
which is why we've talked so much on the podcast about this this split, this difference that happens within the sport, because you then have the Grand Slams that are all also separate entities. Now, you would have also heard us talking about the UK Pro Series, which which was which was the event that Sinead won this year in 2021. And those were the events that the LTA, alongside a big private sponsor, who I don't know the name of who the private sponsor is, brought together during the pandemic. And the prize money is fantastic. And, and what it's enabled is players within the UK, and I'm sure that foreign players can also play them, it gives them a chance. It's a guarantee, I believe, of four, five hundred pounds just to turn up and be in the event. And then the winners of the event, I believe, win up to four or five thousand pounds. So it's a, it's it's been a really good way for for people to start saving up the money before they travel. And it's a bit of a shame that it's taken a pandemic for it to happen. And um, the one point I do also want to make on that is, and I want to be transparent on this, I do believe that the that the funding from these in events, including the ITF Pro Circuits, where you get the ranking points, you don't get ranking points from the UK Pro Circuit, well, the UK Pro Series events, is the money comes from gambling. And the money comes from selling the data of the scores to the big gambling companies, which morally isn't correct, as I'm sure a lot of you listening won't believe in that. I, I certainly don't myself. How, however, we are at the stage within the sport that they've got to find ways of funding, and that seems to be where the demand is. So hopefully that's a little bit of interest. Hopefully I'm bored too many of you, because I do have Vicky next to me. I know I missed you on the, on the on the last episode. So great to have you back. It's an air cartel. It's great to be back. Although I got the uh, short straw because it was me who was at home while you got to do all the all the lovely travelling. <laughs> if you think looking after here we go, seven, here we go, <laughs> seven, ten to thirteen year olds is is classed as lovely travelling. I'll, I'll swap you our three <laughs> for, for those for uh, those in a, a trip away any day of the week. Deal. <laughs> um, Sine. It's hard to believe she's twenty. She is was was incredible. I think I I think I said it three or four times. And sorry if I repeated myself, but it was just, I just kept on going. Really? Are you are you really saying that age twenty? Just spoken with such a, an assured, confident way. Very wise. Very wise. You know, almost you you would imagine her coming towards the end of her career and, and sharing these these stories. And I, and, I, and I think the interesting thing, actually, it'd be great to get her on in six, seven, eight years' time and see if she's got the same opinions. Because I guess the, and please take this the right way, Sine, if you're listening, the cynic in me says she's not quite gone through the tennis journey bit yet that that the real suffering of doing week after week month after month year after year and not quite getting the results that you want to get and you know really I really hope and listening to her speak I hope she can make her way through the levels she certainly has her head screwed on but I think the challenge comes a little bit later when you get to that point where you are struggling you lose confidence your finances are in, in, in a bit of a difficult place. And, and I hope that doesn't come to her. But I think it'll be interesting if she's able to apply those fantastic theoretical things that she said. 
Interesting, Mr. Positive with with a cynical outlook for once. That's usually me. Um, she's certainly very confident, isn't it? She said she was very shy as a kid, and here she was throwing questions back to you on the episode. Yes, she was, and and look, I I really don't want that to come out as as a negative. I think it's it's just. I could sit here and wax lyrical about Sine for the next five, ten minutes, and I, and, and I don't think that's necessarily the conversations that that you want to hear. I think I think we have to try and bring different slants. You know, I I, I was blown away with Sine. I think from the moment Fran Jones said to me, "There's this girl." You need to get her on. I really admire her from afar. I, I was really excited to see what it was that Fran had seen because I believe Fran Jones's as standards are extremely high and certainly Sine gave nothing but amazing positives for me to take away from that chat. I think very interesting and an interesting topic, certainly for parents like ourselves and parents listening, is almost how do you create those life lessons that I know she didn't go into the full detail of it but she clearly had some challenging times when she was younger linked to medical medical illnesses on on the side of her family and almost she had to grow up fast and it goes back to that word we use all the time ownership she had to take ownership of her tennis she had to really push it and drive it herself whereas I think in the modern world those that are living relatively comfortable, those that have their kids in nice schools and doing nice things, how do we artificially create the environment for them to be able to do that? And that's the one that I'm going to be looking at you, Vicky, to create with our three children. <laughs> don't I, don't know if, I, I don't know if you've got any ideas. <laughs> oh, you can definitely hear the maturity, can't you, in the way that she speaks, that isn't normal for a 20 year old tennis player no no and also I think the perspective the perspective that she's got and you know she again if you go through the journey had had those challenges had a lot of injuries herself took six months out and I think again a big word that we talk about is perspective she's 20 years old she's taken six months out she's been injured for 12 or 18 months she's had illnesses within the family yet she's still just starting yeah you know and it's she's got herself to this point where all of these amazing life skills mental skills and tennis skills have been developed yet you go in clubs around the world and people are panicking that the nine-year-old isn't able to hit a running topspin lob yet or that they've lost two matches at a weekend and and I think I, that's what I love about these stories as well. It just brings us back a little bit and just goes, do you know what? It's about the experience. You're on your, on your own journey. You know, you're going to experience many different things. It's really impressive that she's still with the same coaching team. You know, how many of us look at changing coaching teams or trying to change everything that we can apart from ourselves? <laughs> Whereas ourselves we're the most defining factor to our own success whereas I think and Keith Reynolds said it in a couple of podcasts ago he he talked about how Wimbledon 128 players in the men's draw 128 in the in the women's draw and only two of them are going back to their club and coach and saying well done coach you know the other 254 
are coming back saying, well, you're not doing something right. And people will tend to then look at changing everything but themselves. Where it was really refreshing to see that Sinead's worked on herself and 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 kept kept those solid groundings and relationships in place when I'm sure at times it would have been easier to jump ship and start searching for something else. Even the way she talked about losing, it was a really impressive growth mindset. You know, I I understand that losing will help me. I can improve the things. It will highlight the things that I need to improve on for the next matches. Um, I also really liked the chat you guys had about mini tennis because here in Spain, when we moved over, what, 2010, um, Certainly for the first five, six, seven years, maybe more, we had real pushback, real resistance to getting the players onto mini courts and red, orange and green balls. Um, I think we had some players leave as well because we weren't giving their children the opportunity to play with proper tennis balls. Yeah, it's, it's an emotive topic. I think it is an emotive topic and, and hopefully you know, my, my opinions came through on, on the episode it's it's ultimately it's a tool. It's a tool that needs to be used at different times. You know, obviously, I'm I'm a believer in the in the mini tennis system. I, they've actually got blue tennis now, which comes before red. Because ultimately, tennis is about controlling time and space. And if you can control the ball in a really small space then it's actually easier when you go into a big space in some ways, you know, but there's certainly big, big positives to it from tactical development to injury, looking after the body, not playing too many balls above your shoulder. We go back to that video of Sine and Emma, age nine. It's amazing. I watched it again yesterday. (laughs) Beautiful technique, but also beautiful tactics that are coming into play. And they do say that orange ball tennis played at a high level is the most similar in tempo and also in in how they're playing the game, the number of balls that are hit in a minute, you know, the the, the court positions than professional tennis. And once you go onto the big court, you actually drop the level of tennis. The ability to use your skills goes back because your your ability then is just to keep the ball in court. So I'm a big believer in it. I don't think that it should be dictated as strongly as it is in some countries. I think coaches need to be educated and use it as a tool to develop players in the right way. And it's certainly starting to serve some of these players we're now seeing coming through that system very well. The point alone is impressive, but when you link that back to the players who were playing at the time, yeah, it's, it's pretty impactful video. Um, tournament structures. Yeah, great. I mean, it, it, I think it's something that is ran through as a theme again throughout this podcast. You know, if we talk about the Spanish system, we talk about the Italian system that's that's having the correct tournament structure in place. And I think I have two main points on that is is one, I love that Sinead stayed closer to home and one made her money. So the opportunities have to be there for that. And two, developed her game and learned how to win got into that habit of winning and then once you do that you can then use that money to jump on a plane go and stay in a hotel or an airbnb and you are now better equipped to go and get a lot from that experience and 15 matches won one match lost in three events her first itf pro circuit events this year shows that there's no substitute for being prepared and and i just think if obviously the uk we're talking about here but if we're able to get into a position where there is these strong more localized tournament structures it's just gonna 
develop and, and grow our sport so much, not just from players, but from opportunities for academies, for coaches, for equipment, for you know more people to be involved in the sport. That's why we love French League Tennis, German League Tennis, which I was fortunate enough to play. And I think it's a great example. And I, and I hope anyone from the LTA that's listening... I, I have seen recently that the competition structure has massively developed, so, so well done to everyone concerned on that. Those that haven't seen it, check it out. They've done a great job on increasing the international possibilities in the UK, but also getting those private sponsors involved and getting these tournaments where you can actually make some money to fund the next part of your journey, I think is a massive part of any successful system. Well, Sine certainly seems fired up, doesn't she? For 2022, she seems excited, confident. Absolutely, and, and it's going to be very interesting how she does. We're also fired up for 2022, <laughs> but before then, I think there's a fire to put on, there's a mulled wine to pour, <laughs> there's a mince pie to eat. Or several. And, oh, yeah, also <laughs> several might be, might be the case, but <laughs> we just want to say a big thank you to all of you guys that have been listening you know a big a big merry christmas to you all have a have a wonderful time please take some time to stop reflect and enjoy if you're fortunate enough to have family around get your friends around you and enjoy this quiet time that we don't often get in this mad world that we live in but continue to stay safe as things are developing in the covid world we all have to stay safe and, and healthy and as some of you i might see Back in the UK, um, I've been very fortunate to be invited to to come and present at a, at a couple of events. So I'll be in Cornwall, I believe. I believe it's the 8th and 9th of January, um, as long as travel restrictions stay open. And then uh, the LTA at Cornwall have invited me. And then the Tennis Coaches Network, uh, John T. Solomons and John Cavill, I'm very honoured to be asked to also go and spend a few hours with those guys and learn from all of the coaches there and say say a few words about what we've learned on the podcast and also here at Soto Tennis Academy. So looking forward to seeing lots, lots of you early next year. We will be back in between Christmas and New Year. Look out for our end of year finale, which will be our learnings from 2021 and 2022 we're aiming to be bigger better and have many of you involved so thank you for your support of control the controllables but until next time i'm dan kiernan and we are control the controllables